Well, happy Easter. Those of you who are here in person, those of you who are watching online, we are so glad that you have joined us on Resurrection Sunday. Now, I want to begin by asking you guys a question. I have to know the answer to this question. Do you guys lose things? <laughs> Maybe sunglasses, cell phone. Anybody lose the cell phone? Car keys. If you really have issues, maybe you even lose the car. <laughs> that Meyer parking lot is pretty big, you know? You go and maybe you can't find the car. Well, if you're anything like me, you do lose things occasionally. And I want you to know that it is sort of a joke in our house. My family sort of kind of picks on me a little bit because what they know about me is that when, when the pace of life, when the treadmill of life seems to be picking up steam and it's going just a little bit faster than I'm comfortable with, that's how they know it because I start to lose things. But it's not just the losing, is it? It's not just the thing that we've misplaced. It's that thing that happens in the pit of our stomach. It's that uncomfortable feeling that we get when we know we've lost something. I want you to know, according to the Wall Street Journal, the average person misplaces nine things every single day. Nine things. But here's what that also means. That also means you spend, on average, about 15 minutes every day searching and looking for things that you're not exactly sure where they went. But here's a truth about those 15 minutes. You spend those 15 minutes looking because you have a glimmer of hope. You have a glimmer of hope that what you are looking for Will reappear. Well, this morning, we're going to be reading a portion of Matthew's gospel, and it, I hope, will give every single person here a glimmer of hope. Because what appeared to be lost <laughs> has been raised to life. Now, we're going to read that story in Matthew's gospel in just a moment, but before we do, let's talk with its author. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you have invited us here on this significant day. It's a day that we get to celebrate the reality of the risen Savior, your Son, Jesus. God, that's why we have put on our best clothes. That's why we have put on the pastels and the bright colors to celebrate the reality of a risen Christ. So God, in the midst of that, as we turn to the story that proclaims this reality, as we focus in on that story, would you meet with us now, God? Through the power of your Spirit, would you meet with us? We've gathered together to sing your praise, to acknowledge who you are, and now we turn our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. We acknowledge, we stand on the word of God as truth today. But to understand it, to apply it to our lives, we need ears to hear the truth of your word. We need eyes to see the truth that is found on its pages, and then we need humble, genuine hearts before you a holy God, to live out this truth. And so we ask this all humbly 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we are going to be opening God's Word together. I mentioned that we're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel. Now, what's important for us to know is that the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. So, you go through the Old Testament, you begin with the Gospels. You begin in Matthew's Gospel specifically. And the key word there is gospel. It's good news. That's what that word means. So, there are four stories. Four authors have captured the story, the life, the teachings of Jesus. And they're proclaiming that these things are good news. But if you know the story, if you were here on Friday night for our Good Friday service, or perhaps if you've been reading along in our reading plan and you've read chapter 27 of Matthew's gospel, you might stand here today or sit here today and say, wait a second, that doesn't sound like very good news. I know what happened and it was not very good news, but here's the reality. When you look at chapter 27... You have to take into account what's happened before then. We always talk about context here, and so you have to understand what's gone beforehand. Jesus has performed miracles. He spoke with power about the coming kingdom. And then you get to 27, and it says he was imprisoned. He was crucified on the hard wood of a cross. And then he was buried in a tomb. For those who followed Jesus, you can imagine in that moment their confusion. You can enter into the story a little bit. These are a people who've journeyed with Christ. They've journeyed with Jesus, and now all of a sudden, He is not with them. They're a bit lost. Perhaps even lacking hope. But thankfully... Matthew's gospel does not end with chapter 27. Matthew's gospel continues with chapter 28, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, as we do, we're going to turn there in just a moment. As we do, I want to take us all as a church family on a journey. It's a journey that's going to stop off at three significant locations. Matthew walks us through in chapter 28 to the point of of three specific locations, and each location is very important, not just for those in the story, but for you and me as well. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 28. If you are reading along in our ESV Bible, you are going to find that on page uh, 835. And uh, we're going to read this in segments. And so I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick the story up at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. For his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, come, see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going to go before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, greetings. (laughs) I love that. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there, there they will see me. Two Marys have gone to the tomb. They're going to participate in a cultural normality that when the dead body was there, they would come and they would anoint the body with spices. And while they're going to do that, everything in their world gets turned upside down. The earth begins to rumble. And suddenly, there appears to them an angel. But it's not just an angel. This angel comes to bear amazing news. He says, the body is gone. He is risen. What? Wait a second. Enter into that story for just a moment. You go to see the dead body, to anoint it with spices. And what you are confronted with is an angel who says your friend is gone. He's risen? Can you imagine the things that rush through their mind? He's gone. Wait a second. Was his body stolen? Could the body have been removed by the the governor to avoid any controversy about those things that Jesus had talked about before his death? If you think about the women, if you think about the two Marys, it's not hard for us to understand the fear and the confusion that they must have felt in that moment. And yet those are two emotions, fear and confusion. That the reality of life that they're now experiencing is far more significant. It is far more significant for all who hear the story and for all who embrace it because the angel speaks to the woman and says, do not be afraid for I know who you came to seek. His name is Jesus who was crucified. But he isn't here. He is risen. And so when the women peered into the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid, they looked and they did not see a body. And so then the angel encourages them. He says, go, go tell your friends, go quickly. And so that's exactly what they did. They rushed off to tell the disciples. And what happens in that next moment as they're rushing away, if you are entering into this in any significant kind of way, when you hear these words, I I think it probably could give you goosebumps. They're running to tell that Jesus has been risen and they see him. And he says, greetings. (laughs) I absolutely love that moment. Greetings. 
You see, I love what's also taken place here. The women came to the tomb to experience and enter into a situation of death, and what they find is the exact opposite. They find life. It's an amazing contrast as we enter into the story. What they came to see, they didn't see. Instead, they encounter the news of a resurrection, and then they encounter Jesus himself. And so their only response is one of worship. That's all they could do. This is such a beautiful picture of what happens to all who enter into an experience with Jesus. When we come face to face with the reality and the truth of the gospel, of Jesus who died on a cross for you to save you from your sin. But he didn't just die. He was raised to life. And so for all who repent of our sin, all who believe and embrace this truth, we have that same transition. We move from death into life. That's why the Apostle Paul writes these words, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is of the law. But thanks be to the God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, this is the first destination that we have on our journey. When we journey to the tomb, what we find is life. When you and I journey to the tomb, what we find is life. Just like the women who went to anoint his body, those of us who encounter Jesus today, it doesn't matter if we are a man, if we are a woman, or if we are a child. If we encounter Jesus in the midst of a dying world, we find life. You see, instead of worshiping just a moral leader, Some might say, well, Jesus, he was a great teacher. Still other religions have us connect with a set of dogma, and those things miss the significance of what we celebrate today. They miss the worship of the risen Christ. You see, the resurrection changes everything, everything. And that's why when you encounter Christ, when you encounter him at the tomb, when you see that he's been raised to life, he can give you life. Now let's return to the text. Let's pick it up once again. We're going to start at verse 11 as we continue. Again, Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken the council, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep him out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So we've got two groups of people. 
In this moment, we've got two groups of people going in opposite directions. We have the women who were rushing off, filled with joy. They are rushing off to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. And then we've got another group. This group is of men, it's of soldiers, as they are rushing off in great fear to tell the priests the same news, but from a wildly different perspective. One group is celebrating the risen Lord. The other is on the mission to destroy the truth of the risen Lord. You see, in this moment, the religious leaders wanted that tomb to be sealed for three days. That's it, just three days. That's why the guards were there. And that's why when the tomb is opened and there is no body, they have to rush off. They have to rush off because Jesus was gone. You see, it mattered because... Jesus had talked about being raised to life. He talked about restoration in three days. He talked about His coming kingdom. And they knew that if they could just keep it down for three days, all of that stuff would go away. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Theologian Daniel Doriani describes it this way. I love the phrase he says. He says, what happened actually is a delicious irony. Because the efforts of the religious folks, the leaders who were trying to cover up the resurrection, that actually fueled the advancement of the story. It fueled it. It moved it forward. And the resurrection story spread. The truth of the resurrection spread and it advanced. It went from nation to nation. It has gone from generation to generation. The truth is this morning we are on the other side of the world and we are celebrating that story. 2021, we are celebrating that story. It has gone from nation to nation, from generation to generation. Millions around the world are doing the exact same thing today. In Thailand, they're celebrating the resurrection. In India, they're celebrating the resurrection. And around the globe, they're celebrating the risen Christ that we celebrate today. And the story continues to go. It continues to advance. And yet, in our world, we face pushback against that truth, don't we? Right here in Metro Detroit, right here in the southeast Michigan, we often run into challenges. And this is the reality that aligns with the religious leaders' actions that we see in our text in the first century. When we journey to the city, what we face is often deception. When you and I journey to the city, we run into seats of power, and those seats of power can bring about deception. Now, while there's certainly folks in the city who proclaim the truth, many in powerful seats of authority, whether that's business, whether that is politics, they strive to squash the story. We see it happen in the first century, and we see it happen in our world as well proclamation of Jesus. The proclamation of the risen Savior can be seen as a threat. It can be seen as a threat to choices people make in business and in politics. It can be seen as a threat to lifestyle choices. 
It can be seen as a threat to all sorts of self-serving realities. The gospel is offensive to those things, and yet, right here on Easter Sunday, we believe that the truth of the resurrected Christ is far more significant than any pushback we would receive. We believe it's life-changing, the risen Christ. So for people of faith, the risen Christ is our source of joy. The risen Christ is our source of hope. The risen Christ is our source of peace. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world seems to be in short supply of all of those. Church, don't let deception sway you. Live in the truth of the risen Christ. Lean into the joy that you have experienced in your relationship with this risen Christ. But don't just hold it. Offer that hope to someone else that they too might hear the story of Christ. Now, let's look to the final portion of today's text to find our next destination. We're going to pick it up at verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw, they worshipped him, but some, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the women have taken the message of Jesus' resurrection and they've told their friends, the disciples. Needless to say, the disciples, when they hear the news, they too are overwhelmed in the moment. It's probably a little fear, probably a little confusion, not understanding exactly what's happening, and yet they're filled with joy, so much joy that once again we see people respond in worship, in worship. But Matthew also adds another phrase. Some doubted. Before we move off of that word doubt, I want us to be real with each other for a few moments. I want you to enter into the story, enter into that experience. If you are in the moment, would you not have a little doubt as well? Think about what they've witnessed. Think about what they have seen. They've just seen their friend die a brutal death on a rugged cross. They've seen him buried in a tomb. And now they're seeing him face to face. He's resurrected. It's a powerful, powerful picture. And yet this is exactly what's happening. The disciples have met Jesus once again. Now Matthew's gospel also tells us something very important about the location. Matthew tells us the disciples went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had directed them. The location of this meeting is so significant because this is the place, the mountain, this is the place where the disciples were called. They were called to follow Jesus. They were called into discipleship with Jesus. They were called into kingdom living. 
This is the place that they were called, and now this is the place that they are being commissioned. God is commissioning them. It's on the mountaintop. On a mountaintop, you have perspective. On a mountaintop, you have vision. On a mountaintop, you happen to see above and beyond the, the circumstances of the moment. That's what happens when you are on top of a mountain. Now, many of you know this, but my family and I moved here from Colorado about five years ago. We lived in Colorado for about 10 years, and what we learned as a family, all four of us, whether you were hiking, whether you were skiing, or whether you were just out for a sightseeing opportunity. There's quietness. There is stillness. And there is a freshness that happens when you are high and lifted up above the world. And this is the reality that helps us see the significance and the importance of this final destination. Because like the disciples... When we journey to the mountain, we can experience God's presence and His purpose. When we journey to the mountain, you and I, believers, we can experience God's presence and His purpose. Because Jesus is risen from the grave, He he blesses us with His presence. And it is that truth, Christ with us, that it is the greatest gift that anyone anyone can ever receive. There's nothing better. And it's because of this presence that God invites you and me, all who follow Him, into something bigger. The risen Christ declares these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what does Jesus do with that authority? He charges all who follow him to experience and enter into his purpose. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Church, this is our calling. If you are in Christ today, this is your calling. Not to sit near the tomb and reflect upon Jesus by ourselves. There is certainly a time for that. But God calls us to more. Instead, He wants us to enter into the city to tell others about the joy and the hope and the peace that we have found in the risen Savior. And then we are to climb the mountain with a desire to disciple all nations so that people would observe the ways and the teachings of our Lord. But here's the best part. Because the tomb is empty, Jesus offers His disciples and all who follow Him something maybe even a little better. And it's found in the final words of Matthew's Gospel. And I think it gives us hope for all believers throughout history. Here are the words. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May we live in that hope. Amen.